All right. Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of James. We are in chapter 2 that we'll be studying today. So, as always, if you prefer to use a digital version of the Bible, you're welcome to tap your way to the book of James. Uh, and if you like a hard copy, we do have Bibles available in the back if, if uh, you're looking for one. And that would be our gift to you if you do not have one. Uh, so that's where we'll be today. Uh, I was thinking back... Uh, Early on in our marriage, I was working at a, a pretty large church in Fullerton, actually a very large church. It was one of those where you probably couldn't even name everyone who worked on the staff. Uh, it, at least most people didn't know even everyone who worked there. And I remember one time we went to this uh, the Christmas party that was staff and elders and key leaders in the church. So it was this really big gathering where there's no way you would know everyone there. And my wife and I uh, were uh, kind of new. We were young uh, and we were meeting people and we met one of the, I guess, really connected people in the church who, who was one of the important ones in the church. And, and so he was talking to us at this, this Christmas party and asking a few questions. We kept going back and forth. But we could tell after like one or two questions that his, his eyes were asking questions and then they were scanning the room for the next best thing or, or whatever, right? You, if you've had those conversations. And, and then he asked one more question. And I remember in the middle of answering it, he saw someone who was more interesting and literally just went away, walked away. Mid, mid-conversation, to which Sarah and I looked at each other and kept finishing it like, oh, really, that's really interesting that you, that you think that. And it was one of those moments where you just kind of went, oh, wow, that felt great. Fast forward. Last summer, I uh, performed a, a wedding for one of you, one of your kids, who, uh, it, it was a, a nice wedding. It was down at Torrey Pines, and the father of the groom happens to be, he's, he's a very well-known sports broadcaster and uh, works for ESPN, especially in the baseball world. Everyone knows him. In fact, he was walking through the lobby. People, someone stopped to get a picture with him. So he was the father of the groom and we, the wedding went great and we were at the reception and, and uh, he came up to talk to us and we were talking to him for a while and uh, we just kept talking back and forth. Naturally, we did talk a little bit of baseball and I gave him some pointers and uh, we... And, and the conversation kept going on until at one point he goes, he looked at me in the middle, and we would talk for about 10 minutes. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. Am I taking up too much of your time? Do you, do you need to go talk to other people? And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, no, you're pretty cool. <laughs> so, so we kept talking, and, and he left, and Sarah's like, yeah, quit wasting that guy. He's just wasting our time. He's not that important. Yeah. <laughs> two stories, two different scenarios. One who actually is kind of a big deal, Right? And the other one who's someone who we knew who was part of our church family, and both of them treated us entirely different and made us feel entirely different. Today we're going to talk about an issue that is for the church that is on the surface might seem like, oh, we got that. We got this. But as we dig deeper, it's actually a really challenging, convicting passage. And this is a passage where we talk about how we treat one another. And, and the actual topic is showing favoritism. But it goes beyond just this, what we might think of favoritism, to this really challenging passage that will convict, it's convicting to me to say, how do we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ? How do we make them feel in our conversations? Do they feel like they're a part of our family? And what are the subtle things we might do or not do to communicate this? So that's where we're going today, and before we jump into the text, would you pray with me as we get started? God, we thank you so much that 
Though we live in a broken world and we're broken people, we make mistakes. There's times we might be part of the problem in other people's lives, and there's times we might be part of the solution, but ultimately, God, you are our solution. You are our hope, and we're grateful for that. So even today, as we look at a topic that we can all learn from, we can all grow through, God, we thank you that you are a God of grace, and that you're a God who gives us opportunity for second and third chances, and God, you are the one from whom we get our strength and our guidance and our very life. So Lord, as we look into your text today, would you challenge and change us more and more into your image, into what's already true of us, Lord. We surrender it to you and invite your spirit to speak to us. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start off, we're going to be in James chapter 2, but a really quick review. Chapter 1 of James uh, James has really written kind of like a wisdom literature book. There's a lot of different thoughts, but there's similar themes that are going to pop up over and over again. Chapter 1 is, is almost like James is starting off with, with giving you a hint to the different topics he'll talk about. But just by way of review, a few things we've already talked about. One, we talked about how trials in our life, challenges we go through, are actually an opportunity to produce maturity in us. So the, the trials we go through shape us into the image of Jesus. So they're a good thing. We learn that God is a good giver of good things in our life. He's not one who's bringing evil to us. He's not the one tempting us, trying to get us to fail. We also know that God is a giver of wisdom. If we would just ask, if we seek him, that he wants to pour out his wisdom on us. Last week, we, as Dom taught, uh, some of the bad Billy stories. If you missed the message, it's a very great, uh, challenging, convicting one. But we talked about the idea of we want to be slow, quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry and how that's a part of the posture of someone walking with Christ. And, and ultimately, what we landed on last week was, hey, don't just listen to what the Word of God says, but live it out. Do what it says is one of the themes that we will see over and over again. So that's kind of where we are. Now today, we're going to look at this text, as I mentioned already, and talk about how do we treat one another. So we'll help outline. This is one of the passages in James that actually stays consistent for a few verses, so it's nice. We get to outline this nicely for you today. But join with me as we start. James chapter 2, verse 1. And I, I'm reading out of NIV today because I like the translation, so follow along with me with whichever translation you have. It says, My brothers and sisters, believers in the, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man, wearing, uh, and a poor man in filthy clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So we're going to stop right there for a moment. So James, he actually starts off this whole section and helps us out by, to, to outline it. Verse 1, he gives the point of this section. He, he just starts right off, and he says this. The point of this passage is show no favoritism towards one another. So this is, he just lines it up. Verse 1, this is the point, this is what we're going to talk about. Show no favoritism towards one another. Now it's interesting, this, this word favoritism, 
how we translate it, it's actually, it's, there's not a word for favoritism in this passage or what they translated. This is translated from a Hebrew idiom, an expression. And if you've ever heard expressions or idioms from other languages, sometimes they don't quite make sense when you bring them across the board. I remember when I was in uh, a junior in high school and I was in Spanish class, we were studying in idioms in the Spanish language that, and these were from the country of Spain. And one of them was, was a pickup line. It, it was what you say to, to someone if you thought they were good looking. And, and the line was, esta como un tren. Now, any of you who speak Spanish, I saw some of you go, what? Uh, who, who speak Spanish, you saw that? Yeah, esta como un tren. So that literally means, you are like a train. It was a pickup line in Spain at the time. I, I asked Felipe earlier this week, like, what is, would that mean anything in your culture? And he went, like, train, train? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, it worked. And in my junior year, we actually had a student, an exchange student from Barcelona. And so I asked her, I said, hey, Anna, I want to try so I just, I, does this work in your language? And I said, esta como un tren. And she went, she looked at me and kind of went, hey. So I was like, I, it works. So now that was a while ago. I don't know if it still works, so be careful. But sometimes idioms don't translate directly into your language. Now, this one is a, a Hebrew expression for favoritism or partiality. And, and it literally means to receive a face, to receive the face. So he says, hey, none of, be careful that you don't receive the face of each other. Which, again, we go, okay, that makes no sense. Essentially, what we believe it means is in Hebrew, they were saying, by, as looking at the outside, looking at what you can determine with your eyes, don't make that a basis for assigning worth to people. So by receiving the face is saying, I I'm looking at you, and now all of my preconceived notions about what is worth or has value is I'm filtering it through. And so when I receive the face, I'm determining who you are based on what I see. So what James is saying is, if we are brothers and sisters and followers of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, he says, don't receive the face of one another. Don't make that the basis for someone to have worth or not have worth. There's no part of that in the family of faith. So he starts with that. Now, uh, some other things about favoritism. Uh, when we look at that, it's, we're, we're looking at really, he's talking about treating people based on external barriers. And it's really interesting because Jesus came to break down external barriers. So you can see how there's already a problem going on. So he says, Show no partiality to one another. Don't base your worth for one another on what you see. Now, then verses 2 through 4. So if you're outlining this, verse 1 gives you the point of the passage. Verses 2 through 4, he gives you an illustration. And the illustration is kind of a, it, it's kind of, it feels like an exaggeration, right? There's a, if a rich man comes in dressed in nice clothes and then a poor man who looks dirty and it, if you treat the rich man and say, you can sit over here and the poor man has to sit on the floor by your feet, it's like that, that's a good example of, of showing partiality. Now, basically what we see here is he's using a, a picture of a legal procedure, and some of these legal procedures happened even in synagogues, where people would come in, and, and there were some rules actually in the Roman world that would prohibit you from, from doing what he describes, where you'd say, you, sit, you get to stand here, you sit at my feet, because that automatically is determining who is probably right and who is wrong. Uh, and there became a law that said everyone in court had to wear the same clothes. 
so that you wouldn't make these judgments. So James is using this example, saying in your church, if you, if you were to, in church gathering, if you were to say, you get to sit here and you sit at the floor, notice what he says. Haven't you already made distinctions among you? Uh, that can also be dis, uh, determined or translated discriminated. You've already discriminated among each other. And you yourselves have become judges with evil thoughts. Now that sounds, why would we become judges with evil thoughts? Because he's literally using an example of a court case. Saying if a judge were to say, you get to sit, stand here and you sit on the floor, you've already determined who's going to win. And you're just as bad as you would say, that's an evil judge who would do that. James is saying, in the church, if we treat each other based on receiving their face, what we think is valuable or not, you're just like an evil judge. You've already done it. You've already determined the worth of people. So when we think about this favoritism we learn here, it assigns worth based on personal preferences or perspectives. So when we think of favoritism, it's assigning worth to someone based on your own personal preferences or perspectives. Now, he uses the example of a rich man and a poor man, but there are circles and there are people who would say the poor people should have more value than rich. So it, it's cult, sometimes it's culture, sometimes it's it, these microcosms of culture. Obviously, this is where we get into trouble with racism and all of this thing. When we say we have personal preferences based on what we see on what is worth or what is valuable and what is not. And James is saying that does not belong in the church. Because we find that preferences are often built from our assumptions about people or about what is good and bad. So that's how we start. So verse 1, here's the problem. 2 through 4, he gives an illustration. Now, five, starting in verse 5 uh, through 7 here, he's going to talk about here's why is this a problem. So let's go back into the text. Verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him who, to whom you've belonged? So he stops and says, okay, here's, here's one of the problems. Is if you're assigning value and worth and saying, oh, someone who comes in who's poor is less important than the rich, then he, he said, that, that doesn't match up with the heart of God. See, God has chosen those who are poor to be rich in faith. Now, he's not saying that only the poor can be rich in faith. But what he's saying is God doesn't use these external determinants to decide who is, is in the kingdom and not. It's not about the outside. So what we find is the first problem with favoritism is uh, preferential treatment of either the rich or someone else. It's in contrast to the heart of God. So when we play favorites, this section is telling us the first reason why we shouldn't is because it goes against the very heart of God. It's in contrast to the heart of God. That's not God's heart for his people. It's not about, oh, what you do on the outside makes you more valuable or more in the kingdom. We find in uh, 1 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 7, it's a famous passage here where God's speaking to the prophet Samuel and says this, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. 
So we find that in the kingdom of God, it's about the heart, it's about the inside. And James is saying, we can't, when we're receiving the face, when we're making judgments based on what we see and what we've determined is more valuable, we're missing out at the very heart of God who looks beyond the surface into the inside. So that's the first reason why favoritism is against or is wrong in the church is it's not a part of the heart of God. Now let's go back into the text. Verse 8. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture that says love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. So if you don't commit adultery but you do commit murder, You've become a lawbreaker. So the, the argument he's making here is, is essentially he goes back into this and, and says, okay, so if you, don't, if you show favoritism, you're breaking this royal law. We'll talk about what that is in a second. And he compares it to this and saying, well, okay, maybe I show favoritism to people, but I'm not a murderer. It's not like I'm out doing... And, and so he uses this example, which is a common example in uh, the Jewish circles. This was one rabbis would use this argument and say like, well, I don't commit adultery. I'm a murderer, but I don't commit adultery. So I'm not I'm like one for nine on the Ten Commandments. It's not that bad, right? Or one, you know, one, out of, one for nine, that'd be one for ten. <laughs> I even did well in math, but that, that one I just kind of missed. <laughs> So in that, he, he's saying, no, if, you, if, if you're against the law, you're, against, you're a lawbreaker. You can't just say, well, favoritism's not that big of a deal. I'm not a murderer. He says, no. If it's against the law, it's, if you're breaking the heart, you're walking, you're not in step with the heart of God, you're not in step with the heart of God. So now, he uses, but let's go back to this royal law. What is that? Because royal law is actually not written down in Scripture. It's not a thing that we see. It's not part of a Hebrew culture. It's not, he's not referring to some aspect, we don't think, of the, of the Old Testament. But he's saying a royal law. So some, some sort of law that belongs to a kingdom. But notice what he says. The royal law, he said, is love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Jesus in this one, which, by the way, the book of James quotes the book of Matthew, alludes to it in all over the place. This is the half-brother of Jesus. He had some time to hear some things, I'm sure, who wrote this. But Jesus said, someone came up to Jesus and said, well, what laws, what laws should I keep? And Jesus said, oh, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you're good. That sums up the whole law. So what James is actually referencing is the teachings of Jesus who say to sum up the teachings of the kingdom of God according to Jesus, it's love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now the way to think of it is this, is the royal law is the entire will of God for Christians that's been revealed in the teachings of Jesus. So the royal law, it's what, what kingdom is he talking about? What royal law? Well, it's the kingdom of Jesus that he's referring to. It's Jesus' kingdom. So he says, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are in the kingdom of Jesus now, no longer in the kingdom of California, of America. We're not in the kingdom, the Roman world. We're in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and King. You with me on that? So James says, if that is true, the royal law is summed up with love your neighbor as yourself. So we find the second reason why favoritism 
is wrong is it goes against the law of loving your neighbor. It's in direct contrast with this. The first problem with favoritism, it goes against the heart of God. The second one, it goes against the law of loving your neighbor or the teachings of Jesus. And as followers of Christ, we want to take serious or pay serious attention to the teachings of Jesus. So anytime we start treating people differently, less than, based on showing favoritism, we're outside of the kingdom of God. I remember back when I I was still working on my studies and uh, working towards my uh, degree in elementary school. So I was uh, was in first grade, and and in first grade, you're always taught, you know, to treat people fairly and, and, and try to be, you know, nice to everyone. And, and so we did that, but there was a, a girl in my class. Her name was Nikki Johnson, and uh, she was the cutest girl in our class. So um, I treated her differently than everyone else. I, I was not, I, I showed favoritism towards her. It was one of those when, you know, the Valentine's Day goes and you went around and dropped a little cards and the candy and each other's mailbox things that you created. You guys remember that? Those good old days? I think now they give like carrots and stuff. It's just not the same. It's just not love. But, um, <laughs> but back in the day, you got all those, yeah, the cool little things. And, and so, you know, you want to make sure Nikki got like the best or whatever that we'd put in there. And you, you hope that she would give me something nice. And, and so always, you, I treat her a little different. And she sat right in front of me in class. And then one day, I remember, we, we had just finished a spelling test. And, and right about that time, it was kind of, I think it was a little bit after lunch, and she wasn't feeling really well, but Nikki, well, she got sick on her desk, like all over. I was sitting, I still remember, I can still see it. If, if you could, you know, I just wish you could plug in your brain and like record things and watch them every once in a while. I st- this is very vivid, sorry, Sunday morning. <laughs> and, and I remember seeing that, and at that moment, I'm like, Nikki just, she is no longer the cutest girl in this class. I just, I just, I'm sorry. I didn't know girls did gross things, and that was, like, I mean, that, and, and so it changed our relationship. It just, it didn't, it didn't progress after that point. It just, I couldn't, I couldn't handle that. <laughs> so, but we, we do that in other ways to each other. We have moments that all of a sudden we assign worth or, valuable, or value to someone based on what we see, and it's so against the heart of God. It is so against the heart of God. So, James is telling us, let's avoid that in our lives. Now let's go back into verse 12. He says this, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without, without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And mercy triumphs over judgment. So really what he's saying here is he's saying, listen, we're going to speak and act as someone who's a part of the, the whole law. Where Again, we're walking in the commands of life of Jesus. And he says, judgment without mercy. So if we're putting judgment on people without giving them mercy, that we should expect to receive the same. Now, he's not saying this. If you are in Christ and you aren't merciful, then God's going to just change his mind and say, you know what, I was going to be merciful to you, but you're mean, so I'm going to... What he's really saying is, hey, it doesn't, it's not consistent with who you are. Who you are are people who are, if you're transformed and you're part of the kingdom of God, then, then this whole idea of judgment without mercy, that's not even consistent. Because who's the people that we know are going to receive 
God's judgment. It's anyone outside of his forgiveness and grace. And what James is saying is this isn't you. Yes, he knows you'll be a lawbreaker at some time. We all are going to fall short at times. We just will. We're never going to fulfill fulfill the law perfectly, the royal law, the teachings of Jesus. But our confidence is in the presence of Christ in us. And that's what makes us merciful. Mercy is the evidence that we are in Christ. Being able to love others who are different than us is the evidence that we are in Christ. So when our life doesn't match that, it's, it's just incongruent. It shows like, what, what, this isn't who you are. It doesn't make sense. So let's get into some application. Because I think in here, maybe most of us say, okay, we got it. Let's not be, we're, we're good. We're not going to show favoritism. We certainly aren't going to treat someone who comes in dressed super nice differently than someone who doesn't. We got it, Ryan. What's the next chapter? But let's personalize this a little bit more. Because there's really, I, I feel like there's a couple types of favoritism. I want to look at two different types of favoritism that I think pop up in our lives. And I know they do in mine. And the first one is this. It's loving others for what they can do for you. One type of favoritism is loving people or treating them a certain way for what you can get from them, what they can do for you. I remember when I was a, a waiter in college at a nice restaurant in the Seattle-Tacoma area, and one day a couple big guys came in with their dates, and they were linemen for the Seattle Seahawks. And they came and they sat in my section, and they sat down, and the first thing they said is they said, hey, can you, we would like a bottle of Dom Perignon champagne. So immediately I went, you got it. Went, told the bartender, I need a bottle of Dom Perignon and put two more on ice. These are big guys. They're on a date. I know they're out to impress. It's like, we, we're get ready for the next bottle because they're going to order more than one, I guarantee you. So I went over there and, and, and treated them well. I, I grabbed my bus, we used to call them bus boys. I think they're server assistants now. So my, my bus boy, I told him, he came over and I said, hey, this, t- this table here, pay, pay special attention to them. Whatever Whatever they need, get it. If their water's a little bit down, do it nicely. Don't bug them, but make sure it's always full. And if the table next to you needs water, if they're like choking and they don't have any water left, make sure this table has water first. Then go take care of them. Because we are, we're putting our attention here. Now, why? It wasn't because they're linemen for the Seattle Seahawks. Because I can only name like two linemen in all of football history. So it's not that. It's because I wanted them when it came time to tip, to impress the ladies they were with. And hopefully they would give me something that had a picture of Benjamin Franklin on it, or a couple of those. That I wanted something from them. And when you're a waiter, that's not favoritism, that's just smart. Okay, but that's, in the church it's different. But that's the first type of favoritism, is loving others based on what they can get, give you, what you can get from them. Here's the second one, and I think this one is, is where it gets really tough. It's withholding our love based from others based because we either don't understand them or we don't under, agree with them. Maybe we don't understand them because they're from a different background ethnically. Maybe they're from a different economic background than you. Whatever it might be. But again, when we're receiving their face, when we're making judgments on who they are, based on what we see and perceive and consider to be true about them, a, a, a type of favoritism is when we withhold our treatment of them based on 
because we don't agree or we're just not comfortable. And what I've really found, it's often because we really don't know them. But that, this one is so prevalent. It's so, so subtle. And it's tough. Because sometimes we're just uncomfortable around other people, right? Look what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. He said, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. He's obviously talking to some specific cultural moments for the church in Colossae. He goes on and says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Notice the track here. He says, hey, you might want to receive the face of other people in your community, in your church, and you think, well, I don't get them because I grew up as a, as, as a Greek or a Gentile. You grew up as a Jew, and now we're both followers of Jesus, but we're really different, and we don't understand each other or whatever it might be. And, and Paul says, hey, in Christ, in Christ, those barriers are gone. They're done. So therefore, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If you were around this summer, does this sound familiar? These are the fruits, the evidence of the Holy Spirit living through us. It goes on in verse 13. Bear with one another and forgive one another. And if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We're convinced yet. So I was thinking about this and thinking in the church, where are the areas where this becomes difficult? And maybe we all feel comfortable, we're all good, so I'm gonna try to make us a little more uncomfortable. You good with that? Why not? <laughs> Why not? My uh, college football team got blown out on Friday night. My fantasy football quarterback went down. Like, you know, might as well get us all uncomfortable. So let's go, keep going. <laughs> so here's what I was thinking. I, um, I walk my dogs all the time in my neighborhood. And when I walk my dogs in the neighborhood, I found that it used to be that people put political signs up in their yard on election season. Remember that? Now you put it up all the time. And I don't know if it's virtue signaling. I don't know if it's what it is. But, but, but now we live in a world where, where people, we like to fly our flags. We like to let our neighborhood know this is who I am, and there's this subtle, and, and so when I walk through my neighborhood, I've already prejudged pretty much all my neighbors, just so you know. I'll walk by, I'm like, mm, I don't know what they think. Oh, I know who these people are. Hope they never show up at Seacoast, or whatever it might be. I wonder how you feel when you see the signs, because in this room, my guess is how one of you will react to one of the signs, the other might react oppositely. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you some signs. I want you to, if you're taking notes, you can go 1 through 10. 10 is like, that's my people right there. I'm going to pop some popcorn, going to invite them over. We're going to watch our favorite news channel together. Okay, that's, that's 10. <laughs> They're your people. 1 is like, if they didn't have a ring camera on their uh, driveway, I would steal that sign and I would, I would I'd light it on fire on, on Halloween. So that's, that's 1 and that's 10. And, and I'm saying this, and know that there are people in this room who probably have these signs in their yard. So there's no cheering allowed and no booing allowed, okay? 
And here's why I'm doing this. Because I want us to actually confront the areas of favoritism that we have we might not know about. Okay? So react and just how do you feel? Some of you are so uncomfortable. My wife's like, seriously, you're doing that? We are. So here's the first one. We'll start easy. Here we go. How do you feel? All right, how do you feel? Maybe you've seen this before. <laughs> okay? No cheering, nothing. We're just putting things up. Some people have that. So let's be fair. We'll go here. Okay? We're going to be fair. I could read your faces, by the way. No, I won't. <laughs> We're going to be fair. So here's, here's the next one. Okay? Here we go. So far, so good? Not so bad, right? Oh, let's get a little more subtle, a little more nuanced, okay? You see this one. Okay? See it online? See online, you can cheer. We can't hear you. <laughs> People are turning off their TVs right now. All right, there we go. What else do we have? Oh, we have to have this one. Okay, come on. Maybe you've seen this in some millennials, I mean, uh, someone's house or yard or something. I'm just kidding. Okay? All right. How do you feel? What's your reaction so far? What if the person next to you has the sticker on their car right now, and you walk out to the parking lot, and you say, why are they going to this church if want any of these? You guys okay? All right. Let's, let's keep going. You guys okay with this? What if you... <laughs> You can now boo, it's okay. You can, you can, you can cheer and boo. We, I had to lighten it up a little bit, okay? We, we can now get a little bit more. You can wear your emotions on your sleeves for this one. Katie, who our, our, leads our kids' ministry, she's going on maternity leave, and uh, she, is, she has that one, and that's not right. So we got it, let's be fair. There we go, okay? All right, so, so we, we can have fun together, but there are people in here who, let's just do this. Let's just, yeah, let's just. So there are people in here who, who, who have these signs. And, and so this next one, oh, this next one's very personal, to, specific to the Christian world. Okay, this one's hard. This one causes divisions. I know even on our staff. So I'm going to hold them up together at the same time. So which sign? Which sign? Just because it's a Christian organization doesn't mean their chicken sandwiches are better. Let's be honest. So, so as, as we look at these kind of things, I'm just going to put these here. As we, as we look at these, just we, we have to be reminded that people have different perspectives. And here's, here's the last one. This is a new one. And I don't know, I honestly don't know which side this counts for. But here's a new one. Everyone thinks they're doing that, right? <laughs> so we get to put that one right here. So when we started going through this passage, my guess is most of us in here said, I, I'm pretty good at this one. I'm good. I don't treat people differently. I don't feel differently about them. But I wonder if we're really honest. Would we say, yeah, I guess it can be a struggle. I guess it can be a struggle to love each other. And, and, and I'm not talking about, there are issues in the world that actually come down to, are they biblical issues or not? And, and there are people who are Christians who some interpret the Bible in ways that may not be accurate and true. And I, I get that, that's there, and we have meaningful, loving dialogue. 
but even just on the surface, on these issues that were represented differently here, how do you feel about each other when you know that? Is it possible that your heart, you, you withdraw a little bit of your love for someone who's in this church because this doesn't match? And if we're doing that, I think James would say, guys, do you, not, do you not remember what Jesus said? When he said, love your neighbor as yourself, and the example that he used was this crazy example of an actual act of racism with the Samaritans and the Jews, and he said, don't, don't you guys get it? The law of the kingdom of God is, is how we love one another. So, when we look at the book of James, I, the heart here is that, wow, the strength in the kingdom of God is when a church comes together and says, we're different, but man, I love you. I love you because Christ loves you and he loves me and I've got my baggage and my weird ideas and you might have some too, but we are saved by the grace of Jesus and we all without him are hopeless. So I love you. And you can walk together in unity. Because it was so important to the early church. It actually was revolutionary. It changed the world. So, what are we going to do with this? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that, Lord, you... Your word can convict us. I thank you, Lord, that you uh, don't hold back when you challenge us. God, that you constantly remind us that your ways are the best ways. And Lord, even when we struggle to walk in them, you call us back to it time and time again. So I, I just pray this morning in this place, God, would you convict our hearts and and not that we leave here feeling bad about ourselves but lord leave here committed to one another leave here in a way that that it's going to be a tangible example to the world that's watching of the very power of jesus that can unite us through our differences and so god i pray that as you do your work in us would you just allow us to confess before you would you allow us to open our hearts to one another and God, would you move in our midst in a way that we would just be amazed at? We know you're present, but God, we want to sense your presence now. So move in this place. Speak to our hearts. We give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you as we stand together in all of our differences. Let's stand and worship the Lord. we end our time, may you just close your eyes and I'm going to read a few Bible verses to you from the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Let's receive this as our benediction here today. Paul writes, he says, therefore I, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, be diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is 
over all and through all and in all. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming out uh, this morning. And I uh, encourage you to say hello to the person who is around you um, earlier that you said hello to you and tell them which side you are on on each. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go grab a cup of coffee together, get to know each other a little bit more. Thanks for being here. Every time